This is Good Heavens, a podcast taking a deeper look at the heavens and how they declare the glory of God. So pull up a chair, pour yourself a cup of coffee or tea, and enjoy an encouraging glimpse at the heavens from a biblical perspective. Here are your hosts, Wayne Spencer and Daniel Ray. Evolution by natural selection is the dominant scientific paradigm in biology today. It is widely accepted that life arose purely by chance through blind forces of nature billions of years ago without any divine intervention. But in 1859, when Charles Darwin published his Origin of the Species, he had no idea how complex and intricate a single living cell would turn out to be. Today, many academics and intellectuals are questioning the Darwinian paradigm, and objections to Darwin's theory are not just coming from evangelical Christians. Yale computer scientist David Galerter wrote an article in the spring of 2019 titled, Giving Up Darwin, A Fond Farewell to a Brilliant and Beautiful Theory. In the article, he outlines in great detail why he gave up thinking neo-Darwinian evolution is true. Galerter outlines why he believes the odds that mutations at the molecular level could produce such biological variety and functionality as we see all around us are effectively zero. Philosopher and atheist Thomas Nagel likewise doubts that neo-Darwinism is true. In his groundbreaking book, Mind and Cosmos, that shook up the atheist community in 2012, Nagel suggests that in light of the hyper-reductionist physics of human existence, there is really no room for human logic and reason. Such rationality, Nagel argues, quote, cannot be conceived of, even speculatively, as composed of countless atoms of miniature rationality, end quote. Even Darwin himself wrote in The Descent of Man that the, quote, intellectual and moral faculties are of the highest interest, but are treated by me in an imperfect and fragmentary manner, end quote. Darwin later admits that, quote, it hardly seems probable that the number of men gifted with such virtues, bravery, sacrifice, or that the standard of their excellence could be increased by natural selection, end quote. In short, from 1859 to the present day, there remains no conclusive evolutionary explanation or physical evidence for the development of human consciousness and rationality. In May of 2014, a paper titled The Mystery of Language Evolution concluded that, quote, It is important to note here that our current understanding of how neurobiological systems link to even language-like communication in animals is at best primitive and is absent when it comes to the core competencies of language in humans. So then, in light of these considerations and many others not mentioned, how probable is it life got started by a comet bringing the right sort of molecules to Earth? Not likely at all. Darwin never addressed the origin of life. And today, the origin of biological life remains a complete mystery. In the essay collection Wayne mentions in our broadcast, The Mystery of Life's Origin, the authors mention panspermia, a popular idea in the early 20th century that a, quote, life spore, end quote, found its way to Earth from another world. But... Panspermia did not address how microbial bacteria or any kind of amino acids necessary for life could survive the intense radiation from the vacuum of space 
or the fiery entry through Earth's atmosphere. We now know what they didn't know in the early 20th century. Many amino acids break down at temperatures used to bake cookies or cook roasts. At least eight amino acids were broken down between 365 and 536 degrees Fahrenheit. A meteor, however, passing through Earth's atmosphere can obtain temperatures of over 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit. In November of 2019, an amateur astronomer from Crimea, Gennady Borisov, discovered a comet, only the second known object in recorded history to have come into our solar system from outside our solar system. Astronomers discovered this comet, formerly named 21 Borisov, releasing prolific amounts of carbon monoxide. In order to consider that the necessary ingredients for life were delivered via a comet, one must assume an evolutionary perspective of life and assume that aminos and bacteria could survive being doused in radiation, noxious gas, and temperatures all inherently lethal for any kind of living organic material. Positing a comet as a potential kickstarter for life on Earth just pushes the question of life's origin back several steps. Quote, Panspermia offers no theory of origins. It must implicitly assume chemical evolution in some other locale in the cosmos, where conditions are more favorable than Earth. Many of the objections raised concerning terrestrial chemical evolution must, however, apply to other planets by the principle of uniformity. In any setting, it comes down to the fact that natural forces acting alone must be capable of supplying the necessary configurational entropy work of building the proteins, DNA, etc., and then assembling the cell. We know by experience that intelligent investigators can synthesize proteins and build genes. We still have no evidence it can be done by unassisted abiotic means. End quote. In other words, there is finally no scientific evidence that the origin of life came about by unguided natural processes. And yet, without God, one must assume that is precisely what happened. The authors of The Mystery of Life's Origins go on to conclude that, quote, Space incident organic molecules do little to solve the mystery of life's origin. In spite of the problems with panspermia, the number of scientists ready to defend it is growing. End quote. But of course, the Bible tells us that God created life. Genesis, however, does not tell us in great scientific detail how God created life. The point of Genesis is not how God created, but that he did. Consider a chef. He can create a delicious meal without ever revealing the details of how he made the meal. Analogously, suggesting that life began with comets bringing the needful ingredients for the origin of life to Earth is somewhat like saying the chef's cuisine began from spices that came from halfway across the world. Okay, but that tells us nothing about how the chef created the meal. And even if we knew how those spices were shipped, say, from Bangladesh to his kitchen in San Francisco, it doesn't finally do away with the chef by any means. Nor does it tell us anything about how the chef finally arranged all the ingredients or how the spices themselves were cultivated. But a five-star meal could not come together without the input and intelligence of a chef. Likewise, life did not assemble on its own from non-living matter. This is not an argument from incredulity, but an abductive argument or an inference to the best explanation. Life and the universe are replete with hallmarks of design. 
Therefore, it is reasonable to conclude that it was designed. Even several prominent atheist popularizers of science, such as Richard Dawkins and Lawrence Krauss, have admitted the universe and life look like they are designed, but to them, this design is only an illusion. The cosmos and life itself are evidence of an intelligent creator, specifically the God of the Bible the Lord Jesus Christ. But because of sin, man suppresses this truth in unrighteousness. He denies the resurrection of Jesus, but is comfortable with the idea that life arose from non-life on its own. As Paul says in Romans 1, quote, that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. End quote. And as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, quote, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place, but formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else." End quote. I mean, you, you, if, you're, if you have a naturalistic worldview, all of the coincidences that would have to line up to create cells that only use left-handed things if 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 all of this organic material or inorganic material was riding on this comet and the comet actually hit earth or went through earth's atmosphere one wonders how any of this stuff if it was delivered from space would have survived an earth entry a crash and then sort of formed into this complex very st highly structured filled with information uh cellular structure I mean, when we talk about the cells turning into knees and toes and eyes and all kinds of different things and lungs and where is the tell me, because if it's not just a matter of delivering inorganic material to Earth from deep space, it's a matter of this cell needs to become an eye. This cell needs to become a jawbone. This cell needs to become a finger. There is information in the cell. Sure. And, and but I'm not even looking on and on that level of, of the actual organs, before you can even get an organ, you have to get a cell. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the scientific problem is, is how do you go from chemicals to the first simple living cell mm. on Earth? That's, that's a problem. And this problem is the same basic problem if you were talking about any other planet, an extrasolar planet orbiting another star, you have the same basic problem. And so the big story, it takes a long time for their story to play out, Dan. So we started talking about a nebula. So let's say there's an amino acid out in the nebula, and uh, one that might form or might be in a nebula is something like glycine, which is like the simplest amino acid. And glycine is just wandering around out there in the nebula. And then the nebula collapses down into our solar system. And that glycine gets stuck in a comet or maybe in an asteroid. And then many, many years later, the, the comet or the asteroid wanders close to the Earth and it falls mm. onto the Earth. So now when it gets into the Earth's atmosphere, what's going to happen? When it gets to the Earth's atmosphere, it's going to get heated up because when it falls through the atmosphere, it's going mm. at high speed, and it just gets heated up by all the friction. And and then a comet would get kind of broken up, and all these, if there's organic materials in it, it would get heated and driven out. And then the, the amino acid, if it didn't get heated up and decomposed, you know, it might just break apart and decompose. But if it didn't, it might just float in the atmosphere mm -hmm. for a long time, or it might 
eventually slowly uh, settle down through the atmosphere to the surface, and it might take it a few years to get down to the surface. Uh, so one comet or one asteroid or something wouldn't bring a, a lot of organic chemicals to the Earth, Dan. So what, they, what they're saying is that in the early Earth, when, when Earth had just formed, and it just begins to cool off. So there was still a lot of impacts from space bringing lots of lots of comets and meteorites and, and asteroid impacts onto the Earth. And this is where Earth is supposed to have uh, uh, got all of its raw materials. Mm. Mm. It, it it seems highly I'm not a I'm not a probability theorist, but that seems that scenario seems highly unlikely. Um by itself, unguided, undirected. I think I think it's obviously unlikely to anyone who really hears it. And so, let's say that some of these organic chemicals did not get destroyed in this whole pro- long process of getting to the Earth. Now they get onto the Earth, and what happens then? Well, you have a mix of chemicals, either on the surface or maybe in the ocean, and uh, Another problem happens, Dan, is that if you're trying to take something like these amino acids we talk about and form them into a protein, water, it's it's often been assumed that you can put these in water and then they would, uh, sometimes they would naturally combine and form into a long chain of some other kind of important organic molecule. Well, sometimes water actually interferes with that. Water is a polar molecule itself, and it tends to interfere with some of these amino acids forming into something. <laughs> so if a chemist were trying mm. to make something like one protein, let's say just one protein that's like what's in a living cell, if a chemist were trying to do that, it would be a lot of effort because of the fact that it's all left-handed. And then you have, even if you could make a protein, the problem is that you need the protein for the right job because you have to have it the right shape for the right job in the cell or else it won't it won't work and when you mix chemicals together mm. into a kind of a a soup of organic chemicals um they tend to react in a way that makes the chemicals simpler it, they don't tend to naturally react in a way that builds big complex molecules like what you find in the in the cell so if you were to take a cell mm. and look at its basic parts its components of what it's made of the component by um, the component molecules in a cell are things that in many cases even today scientists even the best chemists around wouldn't know how to make them even even mm. in a lab with, with modern chemical knowledge Chemists cannot make the parts of a cell. The molecules in a cell can't be created by scientists who know what they're doing. So the hypothesis that uh, that a comet is a uh, inorganic uh, sort of pizza service uh, that uh, uh, delivers inorganic materials to to planets hither hither and yon uh, seems to be um, even even if it happened. I mean, again, there there are so many. I don't even know what to liken it to. Right, the, the and, improbability of it happening, but I, I think that it is it is it is a testament to to the to the necessity of well, not necessity even. It's 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 an obvious hallmark of 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 God's creative. I mean, it's Romans one that that we are without excuse because we have seen God's. Uh, invisible attributes, and 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 what I what I think it's fascinating when I, people somebody asked me the other day, um, how do you see God's invisible attributes? Well, uh, when you see a painting, you see the creativity, you see the effects of what we call creativity. You don't see creativity, the thing itself. You see the fruit of creativity. You see the product of intelligence, and so the painting or the computer or the car or any kind of design is is the product of our intelligence, our imagination, and our creativity. And so when we look at, at biological life or comets or stars or planets or the solar system, that is that is all 
a divine fingerprint. The Psalm 50, verse 6, the heavens declare God's righteousness. And and isn't it interesting, Wayne, I find this fascinating, that as, as, as far-fetched as it seems to be, that uh, a comet would would deliver biological life to our planet. Isn't it interesting that the postulate of life here on Earth has gone to the heavens, that, that life must have come or could have come, or they're even considering the probability of life coming from outside of our world? Now, granted, it's just solar system, but here's that, that inkling of truth that life may have really got its start from not from around here right um not from the planet itself but something came here outside of earth and and created life and uh of course we have that testament in the scriptures dan there's a book i want to mention yes about all of this about this problem of the mis- life's origin so there's a book that came out in 1994 originally uh, called the mystery of life's origin uh, by Charles Thaxton, Walter Bradley, and Roger Olson. Mm-hmm. And um, I got that book uh, a few years after it came out, and I've been very influenced by this book. Um, I got that back when I was a chemistry teacher. Mm. And it's really marvelous. Uh, but um, it's it was one of the books, I think, that really helped start the intelligent design movement. Mm. Um it talks about a lot of different aspects of this problem of life getting started on Earth without without any other life. It's just chemicals and mm-hmm. well, that was nineteen eighty four and it came out just discovered recently that they there was a new edition of this book that was published in January of twenty twenty. And so they, they did minor changes to it and they said they really didn't have to change very much of it but they they added to it and there's a number of new uh essays in it from new uh new people one of those scientists that added some really wonderful comments is a man named james tour yes who's a uh synthetic chemist mm-hmm. there's also and we've had Guillermo gonzalez on the on the podcast dan he he wrote a chapter in it um Anyway, James Tour impresses me a lot. So he's uh, what's called a synthetic chemist. A synthetic chemist means he actually makes things that are useful <laughs> from molecules. From He figures out ways to turn molecules into something useful, um, essentially. And he's done a lot of really important discoveries. So he's, he's made a lot of uh, significant things that... Uh, it's been used by various companies in industry for special materials, and uh, there's a, a host of patents that he has. So he's really knows a lot about organic chemistry, and uh, so he wrote a chapter in this new edition of this book. And get you know, get this: the name, the title of his chapter is called "We're Still Clueless About the Origin of Life." That's how he starts his chapter. <laughs> And, wow. And I, oh, wow. And, and there, I want to read a little uh, paragraph or so from him, Dan. Um, so he says, Try as they might, without pre existing life, no researchers have ever seen molecules assemble into a living cell or anything even remotely resembling a living cell. Contrary to the hyperbole, of press reports, any synthetic molecularly derived structures that have been touted as being cell-like are in reality far from it. And he goes on to say, scientists Mm. have no data, scientists have no data to support molecular evolution leading to life. The research community remains clueless. Wow. (laughs) He has his own... uh, video podcast kind of thing now and he has uh he's been in some great uh interviews on, that you can find on youtube you look for look for james tour t-o-u-r mm. and it's really mm. good stuff mm. he's a wonderful speaker i've seen him speak um he is 
phenomenally passionate about what he knows, and uh, you can watch some really great stuff on uh, cell chemistry and the chemistry needed for life and, and the complexity of chemistry and how, as you say, um, there there's no research of the origin of life is, is nowhere even close to even having any kind of viable possible uh, solution. But uh, since we started talking about uh, comets on this podcast, you know, you have, you, you, we know a lot about comets. We know a lot about biological life, but uh, it's interesting how both of them, Wayne, that their origins are are still mysterious. We're we're not exactly sure. Uh, well, we're definitely not sure where life came. If you're a naturalist, you, you definitely don't know where life came from. Um, but if for for cosmology and astronomy, astronomy, observational astronomy, comets are still mysterious in terms of their origin. Uh, just reading about well, how does a comet come to be did it uh was it an asteroid uh, that lost all its rock was it uh was it a ball of ice was it a planet that fell apart way 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 out in the solar system um and i think i mean this it's 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 amazing that we we're not sure i mean the like i said at the beginning of the broadcast that this thing called the oort cloud has been proposed that our solar system is surrounded by a halo of these these comets but uh but we really don't know what this source, the natural uh, natural explanation. We have no natural explanation for where comets come from. Uh, I don't think we do. Uh, no, no the, the, I know what the science explanation for them is, Dan. So ba- basically, where do you think these comets that are in the Oort cloud, where would scientists say that they come from? Uh, well, they're believed to have formed. I would think a broken planet. Well, kind of. But they believe they formed... Uh, closer to the sun in the basically the outer solar system region, when the planets formed, there was some of these icy objects that formed up there where it's cold, and these icy objects, some of them uh, do these kind of uh, close flybys of Jupiter or Saturn, and Jupiter or Saturn are the biggest planets in our solar system, right? So they have enough gravity that they can slingshot objects out at high speed now and then and it's possible they can do that that Mm -hmm, does happen mm -hmm. well when if you imagine the solar system full of millions and millions of these small objects when planets have not fully formed yet uh they think some of those ended up being the comets but they got flung out into uh, far out into space by uh, flying close to Jupiter or maybe Saturn. And that's what put them on these long, narrow orbits. The Oort cloud is like an area where the comets would get out there out at the far end of their orbit. And Dan, remember with Kepler's laws, the farther something gets from the sun, the slower it moves, right? So when a, if a comet gets out to the far end of its orbit, it's going very slow. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if there's right. other objects out there, the idea is that it could get out there and just get stuck. Mm. So the, the current working theory would have, the, 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 the current working theory would be like, uh, as planets were forming, um, this dust was picked up by planets that, Saturn and Jupiter that were like Olympic hammer yeah. throwers. Right. <laughs> they'd take the they'd take the small little hammer and they'd spin around and throw these things as far as they can in the, that's a good analogy. In, into the stadium there. Um yeah. and that's kind of one thing. But uh but <laughs> yeah, the Jupiter you could say like the Jupiter is a hammer thrower and Saturn is a hammer thrower and they're just throwing rocks that's right. as they come. That's that's I mean that's kind of literally what Jupiter does. It spins and twirls and throws things that come into its orbit. And that's how that's interesting too, because when we launched the Voyager satellites, that's how they got the Voyagers to the edge of the solar system. They put a trajectory where the planets were going to line up, and they threw the Jupiter satellite at the planet. It got into Jupiter's orbit, and Jupiter spun around and threw it onto Saturn. Saturn spun it around, caught it, and threw it out to Neptune, and and so on. And and so there's that. I forgot. There's a technical name for that. I forgot. But uh, but they use that gravitational orbit uh, hammer throwing, if you will. Uh, to get these out there, but uh, but comets, um, 
comets are believed to, I mean, that's a theory, but there is no empirical uh, visual uh, telescopic evidence of this mysterious Oort cloud. I'm not saying it's not out there. It's just never been physically demonstrated to actually exist. Right, Dan, we can't see that far. I mean, the even with really uh, sensitive CCD uh, camera detectors, they can only see out to around 60 astronomical units from the sun. And the Oort cloud would not start until you get out to a few thousand AU from the sun. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you younger generations of, of people that listen to us, the 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 younger kids listening to us, if you're out there, um, the famous comet, Halley's Comet, uh, is coming back. It's uh, due to return in 2061. So Wayne, I'll be 92 if I'm still around. Um, I think you will be in a hundred. You'll be over a hundred if you're still here, wouldn't you be? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know if I'll be around or not. But uh, Halley is a is a good comet to see. It wouldn't be fun if if you're a hundred or something. And I'm 92 and we're still doing go- well. Good heavens! Good Wayne, heavens! Uh, we're still doing good heavens. In a few years. Yes, I, oh, like uh, the the Muppets, Stadler and Waldorf, the Muppets up in the balcony. That's us, the two old guys sitting up there going. Oh, oh. Um, we'll wait and see, Dan. We'll wait and see. Yeah, let's let's hopefully that won't happen. Um, but uh, Halley's comet is is phenomenal. I mean, how uh, it was named after its discoverer, the the person that discovered it, Edmund Halley, right? And um, he figured out along with uh, using yeah. Newton's theory of gravity, he figured out that the comets that were seen in 1531, mm. 1607, and 1682 were the same objects. And so he made a prediction. He said sometime in late 1758 or 1759, uh, yeah. it'll show up again, roughly every 75 to 76 years. Unfortunately, Halley died in 1742, so he didn't see it come to pass. But right on schedule, actually it was delivered as a gift. (laughs) Halley's Comet showed up on Christmas night in 1758. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was kind of one of the big validations of Newtonian physics and and gravity. And then there's a famous painting uh, by Giotto, the artist Giotto, of the nativity scene adoration of the magi and above this picture i think it's a fresco i'm not sure where it is but uh it's um called the adoration of the magi in which uh they believe giotto painted in Halley's comet as a as a reference to the uh the 1758 appearance at uh at christmas time so you know it's 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 fascinating to me wayne that 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 uh that when you think about it you know, we can talk about the science of all of this stuff, but really I think the final bottom line of of the specialness of comets, they're not like stars, they're not like planets, they have the weirdest orbits, they show up in every realm of the sky, they're, once we find them, they are, they become predictable, but the new ones, we're still discovering new ones, I mean, we discovered Comet Ison, Comet Neowise, these were ones that were discovered, uh, brand new comets. And it's exciting because to me it reminds me kind of how, you know, you, you mentioned Revelation. Of course, Revelation is the last book in the Bible. And, you know, it speaks of the return of Christ, you know, that, that Jesus is the bright and morning star who, who will appear again, right? He appeared the first time and died and resurrected, but he will appear again. You might call him a long period comet, right? Right. <laughs> but, but, but he's like that in, in the sense that, that 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 the heavens remind us of it's like an eclipse you know it reminds us of the verses of the bible where it says the sun will be darkened right. and the moon will not give its light and uh and so these comets i think these periodic mysterious visitors that we have that show up with a beautiful tail and and bright light and 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 these gigantic comas uh remind me of you know of course of the glory of god but i think they you know i i find it fascinating how can they you know, and of course, I'm using my imagination. There's nothing in the Bible per se about comets. I mean, the classification of comets that we have today is quite modern, because anything in the Bible that was uh, a light in the sky was a star. But uh, but I think it all does point to you know, it really does 
make us think of of God. Uh, and they're awe inspiring. They're beautiful. They're mysterious. They're periodic. Uh, those, especially the long period comets. And it's just they're just fascinating to see. And I hope people listening got a chance to see Neo Wise. So if you're excited about comets, if you like comets, uh, there's a comet 7P, Pons Winnetki. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. It's perihelion. That's when it's the closest point to the sun. Is uh, May of next year, May 27th, 2021. Um, it is uh, believed to be May and June, and uh, I don't know exactly when. How when's the last time that was here? Um, but that's the next one that that we're supposed to see is Comet Pons Winnetki in May of of next year. And uh, there's another Comet 6P D Arrest in uh, September of next year. And then we have uh, we have Comet 67P uh, Churyumov. Am I pronouncing this right? Churyumov Gerasimenko. That's supposed to perihelion again in uh, November November of 21 uh, November of next year as well. So. Um, really? So there's three three comets in 2021. Well, that's pretty good. Uh, there's three comets uh, predicted. Now that doesn't that doesn't count as um, anything. Of course, we haven't discovered, but these are predicted. But the Churyumov Gerasimenko comet um, um, is that actually a comet? Yes, it's a comet. Um, I had to I think about it because because that's the one where they landed the Philae lander. Yeah, so they, there's some interesting things about what they found was in that comet, and they did find some amino acids, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and it's it's easier to call it 67P. 67P. I can't. I, I killed the other names. I'm <laughs> but, so sorry. Uh, <laughs> the 67P. The the mission to 67P was done by the European Space Agency. Uh, they called it the Rosetta mission, and then. Um, I remember watching this. I got to to watch. I was watching it live when the Philae touched down, and and was just fascinated by the images that they got from this thing. Um, and it's kind of like an asteroid. I mean, you think it is, but they're actually calling it a comet. But that's going to make perihelion uh, the day after my birthday uh, next year, November second. And then you have Comet Six P, DRST. Uh, that's the, and then you have uh, the Comet Seven P, Pons Winnetki. So you got three comets to look forward to. I don't know how bright these are going to be, but uh, mark your calendars, look online if you want to catch these comets. And of course, uh, about 67P and the Philly lander, I was amazed that they were actually able to land on a comet. Dan, that's incredible feat. That's like, that's incredible. It's like trying to throw a ping pong ball on a, on a race car, moving on a racetrack and hit the guy <laughs> in the face. That, that's like, it's incredible, it's incredible. feat. And I think it didn't quite land correctly. It was tilted over or something. I don't remember. No, it bounced. There, it oh, bounced. that's right. It, and then it, it bounced. It, it bounced, and then it got lodged under a rock. Yeah, and then they didn't have. They had like it, it was sort of like bad cell communication. You know, it, where it landed. Yeah. Uh, well, no, I think it was out of the sun or in the shade of a rock, so it didn't get the uh, didn't get the sun, and I think it died prematurely or something like that. But yeah. It it landed and bounced, but they were able to make contact. Well, Dan, if you're going to land on a comet, you don't want to do it when it's close to the sun. You want to do it when it's a little farther away, so it's, <laughs> no, it's not going to blow. It's not right. going to blow apart on you. So yeah, that was amazing. And there's a lot of interest in that 67P comet over the uh, chemicals that they found in it because I think it did have amino acids. Mm-hmm. But amino acids, Dan, are are small chemicals. Uh, the amino acids are relatively easy to form in space because in space, ultraviolet light from the sun can um, drive the chemical reactions. And, and so simple chemicals like amino acids are really not a big deal. Uh, and they're much, much, much simpler mm. than what's in a living cell. And um, coming uh, coming in December of 2022, this is a couple, this is a, Two years away, uh, Comet Pan-STARRS will be making its perihelion just before Christmas of December of 2022. Right. So you can go online and find out when predicted comets are supposed to show up. But uh, three next year, if you're a comet hunter, check them out. Uh, comet 7P, Comet 6P, and Comet 67P, the famous comet, the first comet ever to be landed on by human technology. That'll be making its perihelion this, uh, this uh, coming November of next year. So... 
Wayne, it's been a fantastic episode of Comets. Uh, we, we haven't even scratched the surface, no pun intended. <laughs> you know, not too many people associate Comets with Aristotle, you know, the Greek thinker from the 4th century BC. And Aristotle actually had an opinion about what, what Comets were. He said that Comets were exhalations from the Earth, meaning eruptions, like volcanic eruptions or gases, uh, but he believed that the comets were ejected from the earth and thrown up into the air. And once they got in, into the upper fiery regions, they ignited. So, and then sometimes they burned. But that was Aristotle's theory of comets. How about that? And so I, uh, I liken them. I, I, I've come up with this cute little term, Aristotle rockets. <laughs> <laughs> that comets uh, well, I did not. To be I did not know the, that. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that came up with. I mean, I don't know. Maybe somebody else has called them Aristotle rockets, but basically, that's what it is. It's a fourth century BC Greek version of a rocket. The Earth was <laughs> shooting stuff up into the atmosphere, and once it hit the atmosphere, it would burn up. But you know, when you when you're looking at those, like when I was looking at comet Neowise, you could totally argue that that was something that you know, some ejecta from Earth far away that you didn't know what it was. I mean, it makes perfectly visual sense to to have that kind of thing. I can see what why Aristotle would think about that. Um, but I just I just thought I had scribbled in my notes here Aristotle rockets. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was funny. Well, that's funny. But, uh, so from my point of view of physics, it doesn't make any sense at all, Dan. But that's Aristotle didn't know a lot of things we know today, right? No. He didn't do a lot of he didn't do a lot of observational science. He did a lot of uh, you know maybe this maybe that, but he didn't really do a lot of tests. But I mean, physics wise, now that we know what we know about things, I mean, if you just went outside and you had seen a comet for the first time, you you wouldn't immediately go, you know, those came from deep space. You might look and go, hmm, I wonder if that's shot up from the Earth or something. Maybe you know, so you can. Dan, you mentioned T- Tycho Brahe. He in his day, I think they believed that comets were in Earth's atmosphere. They were not out in space. And so that's that's why, or maybe they were close to the Earth. And yeah. so that's why he wanted to do a parallax measurement right. to find out are they, you know, somewhere around the Earth or not. And did you know that um, for, it wasn't until um, recently, I don't know how recently, but uh, until we had, um, that, that that comets used to be considered uh, what one astronomer called solar wind socks, you know, like the helicopters when you land on a on a rooftop, yeah, and they have those orange cone like things that show the helicopter pilot what direction the wind is blowing. Well, okay. people used comets to to the the tails of comets to determine the direction and the intensity of solar winds, really uh, before satellites, and uh, so people by analyzing the tails of comets is how they figured out stuff about the sun. Okay. But I, I, we have, there's so many, we could just go on and on and on about comets because they're so cool. And, uh, so, so many, so many wonderful aspects of comets. And I have a book I've just started, uh, called the greatest comets in history, uh, broom stars and celestial simtars. Really? I like the idea of broom stars. Isn't that cool? <laughs> yeah. You know, like a star. Yeah, it's a great book by David Sargent on uh, Springer Publications. And I was reading up on it a little bit for uh, for our broadcast. A great book. And we'll put that along with uh, the book that you mentioned in the description below. And, uh, and we'll wrap up here. So, Wayne, you wanted to chat briefly about... Uh, what we do, we uh, Wayne, you want to talk to us briefly about uh, the, the Good Heavens and Podbean. Some of our listeners know that we're on Good Heavens. Some of some people sponsor me, uh, give to Good Heavens on uh, Patreon, and now you're doing something on Podbean. So I think we, I don't think we've ever really talked about why do we have something on Patreon, why do we have something on Podbean, and uh, so maybe explain to everybody what's going on here. Yeah. So. Um on Patreon, Good Heavens has been, has been going for a little over three years, but on Podbean, we've only been uh, a little over two years, and um, I manage Podbean, and Dan, you manage Patreon, so we put it out on two platforms. Podbean is a good platform in that it pushes it out to many other 
platforms. So if anyone is listening to Good Heavens on Apple Podcasts, they are getting it from Podbean. It gets pushed out uh, to these other uh, outlets. And uh, that that's a great thing about Podbean. So um, now Watchman Fellowship uh, is uh, your employer, Dan. And uh, Dan has been getting donations through uh, Patreon and Watchman Fellowship takes uh, tax deductible donations that can go to Dan. And Dan, it depends on donations. Dan is depending on donations for his living. To, to be clear, we at Watchman, so there are a couple of ways to, that this works. So Watchman is uh, our, our parent of Good Heavens. Watchman adopted us, the Good Heavens podcast, last year when I came on board to Watchman. We do two podcasts at Watchman. We do the apologetics profile podcasts um and then we also do uh the good heavens of course and uh so the donations that we get through patreon at present are non-tax deductible and just go to me for the maintenance and actually part of my salary donations so everything that you give to patreon goes to me at watchman but presently we do not have it as a tax deduction if people want to have a tax deduction for their donation, they can give to me at watchman.org slash Daniel. That's watchman.org slash Daniel. You can transfer your giving from Patreon to Watchman for a tax deduction that way. But if you give just through Patreon, Patreon, it's not tax deductible. So just to make that clear, I think we've mentioned that before, but uh, we're working on making to find out how we can get the Patreon deductions uh, tax deductible. But when it comes to what you're doing, Wayne, you are doing the Podbean so that we can be on other podcast platforms because Patreon, Patreon, as far as I know, well, it hasn't been able to, maybe there is a function now, but we don't know, but you, you started Podbean so we could be on other podcast platforms. So why don't right. you explain so what you're doing? Podbean is a good platform for pushing it out to others. And uh, I have taken on the cost of Podbean myself. And um, but I had to increase the cost of it uh, this year in order to uh, do something new with it. So I uh, now uh, there's a new option on Podbean that you can become a patron on Podbean for good heavens. And if so, that donates to me instead of to you. Now what that does is it keeps the cost off of off of you Dan and it keeps the cost off of Watchman Fellowship so I'm taking on a cost uh, myself and uh, I have a full time job and I can do that but uh, I'm trying to get the Podbean to kind of uh, self sustain so uh, it, it will cover its own costs so and I'm part of the way there I'm not quite up to the goal of what I wanted but it's we've got it going so I'd appreciate people considering making a, a monthly donation uh, if they want to, either either to the Podbean platform or the Patreon platform or through Watchman Fellowship. There's these different avenues you can do this. And if they give through Podbean, if they give give through to Podbean, good heavens, as a patron. That goes directly to me, and that is not tax deductible. Well, I, we appreciate what you're doing, Wayne. Uh, I appreciate all the sponsorship that that the people have been uh, giving to us through um, uh, being subscribers through Patreon. Uh, thank you, everybody, for your faithfulness of uh, this past year. Even if you're given, uh, you know, there's no amount too small. We just appreciate everybody just being a subscriber and a patron and a supporter of what we do. Wayne and I never thought this would be going for as long as it has nor did we ever dream that a christian ministry would pick it up and make it an official part of their ministry and so watchman is helping us with uh we've improved our we've improved our production i've been using uh, professional pr- production music we've had a professional narrator so watchman has really been if you've been with us for three years <laughs> you can go back to the first episodes and me hearing hear me doing a fake british accent <laughs> to what we're doing now you know, so uh, it, it it we have uh, the quality of the productions of Good Heavens have improved because of Watchman's 
uh, facilitating uh, us and giving us the necessary tools and resources to make it sound better. So thank you to everybody that's enabled us to do this. This is my full-time job, part of my full-time job. I love it. I love talking about it, and uh, I love doing it. So thank you for your support. If you want to increase your support, uh, you can give to you can give through Patreon. Yeah, tell people about it. You can support Wayne on Podbean, or you can donate to Watchmen the Ministry. Just go to watchmen.org slash donate, and that's just donating to the ministry. Um, we are in a we are kind of in a situation where um, uh, every it's been financially tight for everybody this year. So. If you think about uh, Watchmen or me or Wayne, be praying for us in the ministry as we go forward in 2021, talking about, uh, you know, the Lord giving us another fruitful year of podcasting and talking about the glory of God in the heavens, because it's an important thing. People don't think about it a whole lot, and we like to give people some encouragements and ways to think about the cosmos that uh, that you just don't hear enough of, you know, right? Um, and we don't... We don't appreciate what God has created, and we, we don't think about a lot of what God has created. But right. <laughs> there's so many exhortations in Scripture to consider what God has made. And so that's what uh, the Ministry of Good Heavens is, is encouraging people to think of what God has made uh, in, in a biblical perspective and to, 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 to use part of creation as, as an encouragement in your own walk with Jesus. You know, the more you're attuned with nature and what God has made, I think the, the more robust and rich and, and meaningful your faith can become. And so that's what... That's why we do these things. It's uh, it's fun. It's a it's a ministry, and it's delightful and enjoyable. And it's always nice to hear from you. Um, and so, drop us a line, say hello, and uh, we thank you for your support. Happy New Year to everybody. Hope you all had a great holiday, and uh, and uh, continue to listen to us. And thank you so much for for your continued support and ears over this year. Amen. Thank you. All right, Wayne. So we will. Uh, Thank you for this uh, wonderful chat on comets. I don't think we even began to talk about the fascinating aspects of comets, but you know, it's it's meant to be conversational, and uh, you know, sometimes we go we get a little sidetracked. But I think we kind of covered it. I think uh, got some good resources here. We'll put in the links to the description about the books, and uh, you have a paper that you wrote, um, and that we'll include that in the uh, the link to your blog, so people can read up more about that. And uh, it was fantastic. I enjoyed it. Thank you so much, Wayne. We will see you next time right here on Good Heavens. Good Heavens. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, the Bible says. But do the heavens matter to us any more today? What does Scripture mean when it says the heavens declare the glory of God? How can a biblical perspective of the universe fit within the paradigms of modern science? How can a deeper understanding of the universe strengthen and encourage your faith? Find out by putting Good Heavens in your podcast subscription list today. Thanks for listening to this episode of Good Heavens. For Watchman Fellowship, I'm Dave Mitchell.